You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. We are talking about epistemology. How do we know? What is knowledge? What does it mean to know something, and especially in the case of religion? How can we really know something in religion? Isn't it all just done by, you know, faith and if we believe something, it's just the case of the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. What if there's something deeper involved? My guest is Dr. Tyler Dalton McNabb. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Macau. hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Before taking his current position, McNabb taught three years at Houston Baptist University. He's the author of Religious Epistemology from Oxford University Press and co-author of Plant Indian Religious Epistemology and World Religions from Lexington. He has also authored, co-authored various articles published in journals such as Religious Studies, European Journal for Philosophy and Religion, International Journals of Philo- Journal of Philosophy and Theology, the Hayfrop Journal, and Philosophia Christi. Dr. McNabb, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Sure. Um, so, let's see. Uh, when I was about a senior in high school, I had an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't sure if God existed. And in fact, I was inclined to think he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, nonetheless, I did what, what any uh, good millennial would do uh, in these circumstances. I turned to Google. And, uh, that great I bastion Googled. of information. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, proof for the existence of God or evidence. I, I'm not exactly sure what I typed in, but something like that. And uh, I uh, came across um, Old Testament passages, actually. Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, 24 through 26. And uh, kind of found myself believing Jesus is the Messiah. And mm-hmm. the next day, I um, pulled. I was late to school, and I did what any good senior would do when they're late to school. They'll just pull over and uh, <laughs> handle their crisis before they, you know, get to school. Uh, and I opened up a Bible, and I said, God, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, but is Jesus God? And I did that unpardonable sin uh, that people oftentimes do, which is to say, I opened up a Bible at a random spot and put my finger down and hoped that I would find evidence that Jesus is God. And by God's grace, in fact, I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, I then had a followed by a really deep religious experience uh, where I felt almost like God's spirit was tangible um, with me in the car. Uh, and uh, I became a believer, a very, very sincere believer. And 
then uh, I was growing in my faith, learning apologetics very quickly, started street evangelizing a couple months later. And uh, a couple years later, I ended up having another sort of crisis of faith where I started getting into philosophy. And uh, I just had all of a sudden was plagued with doubts for about a year straight. I was just plagued with, with great doubts. And uh, I started listening a little bit to William Lane Craig, and uh, that helped some. But really, it was when I read um, Alvin Plantiga's Warranted Christian Belief, um, where uh, I realized that I didn't have to have arguments in order for my faith to be uh, considered rational. Mm-hmm. And that led me to finally have sort of uh, some calmness to my spiritual life, and I could just trust my intuitions. Okay. And that, that, that was quite, quite freeing, existentially speaking. Okay, well, let's ask something about that, because <clears throat> some people could be listening to the show saying, wait, 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 this is an apologetics program. We love arguments. We favor arguments, and you just said we don't need to have arguments. Are you opposed to arguments for God? Yeah, that's a great question. No, I'm definitely not. I, I enjoy uh, uh, my former colleague, William Lane Craig, or a former colleague, uh, your uh, father-in-law, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Kona. I, I love listening to arguments for the resurrection or arguments for God's existence. Um I, in fact, I've I've uh, written in a couple of different published a couple of different arguments for God's existence as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one from political authority and one from uh, knowledge. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not that we that arguments aren't important or that they can't help our faith or that someone can't even come to believe because of arguments. It's just rather that they're not necessary mm-hmm. in order to be rational in one's belief that God exists or that mm-hmm. Christianity is true. Yeah, I, I think one example <clears throat> could be. Before we went on the air just now here to record this, I did something that a good son's supposed to do and called my mom and talking to her. And I understand this stuff. You understand this stuff. You and I could have a conversation about this. She would be totally lost. Mm. But she's not, it's not the case that she's foolish for believing in God, though, is she? Right, exactly. So um, there's a, a, a a fun paper that I, I disagree with, but I enjoy reading uh, from Lydia McGrew, and it's called something like um, uh, "What Grandma Can't Know" or "What Grandma Can Know." I forget the exact title, but the the idea is uh, on Reformed epistemology. There's a really easy way to talk about how grandma can know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my my grandma, for example, when she was alive, uh, she uh, didn't know arguments for God's existence. She didn't know anything about natural theology. Um, she seems to genuinely love Jesus, and she seemed rational to me mm-hmm. uh, in her faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. but uh, she she couldn't articulate uh, arguments in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Um, so, I mean, uh, I think that she can nonetheless know, even with apart from argumentation. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, I mean, if you were <clears throat> met someone who was like you and was struggling with intellectual doubt, say, you're not going to tell them, oh, just have faith. Right, right. Um, so, uh, that that wouldn't be a good a- approach, I think, not, not a helpful one. Mm-hmm. 
I do think, however, that if someone who was like me, uh, so for example, when I said that I went through that year of just like lots of doubts, mm-hmm. um, I wanted, I, I was worried that I had to have an argument to be rational. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I thought that was the epistemic standard, this sort of hard evidential standard that I was trying to meet. And uh, when, when I realized I didn't have to have an argument, because I was always like, well, what if I meet a philosophy professor? I mean, I did, ended up becoming a philosophy professor, mm-hmm. but before I was, you know, when I was still uh, an under, undergrad, I mm-hmm. thought, what if I met a philosophy professor who just knew arguments a lot more than I did, and who knew the arguments but rejected them, and who mm-hmm. gave me objections that I couldn't answer and didn't understand? Mm-hmm. Would I then no longer know that God exists if I realized the argument wasn't good or if I had no response back? Oh my gosh. What if, like, all my years of ministry, what if I do ministry for the next 20, 30 years and an atheist professor comes up to me, debunks everything that I believe, uh, or, or shows that the arguments that I have for thinking uh, that God exists are, are, are bad, and uh, would I no longer know that God exists? And this just really, really um, destroyed me uh, emotionally, uh, mentally. And uh, th- th- that that's what this is for. It's saying, actually... No, that's mm-hmm. not necessary. Even if the arguments didn't work, your 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 faith can still be rational. Yeah, and when you were saying about I was saying, I mean, imagine if you were talking about, say, your former calling, my own father-in-law, Michael Lacona. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think you'd want to go against him on the opposite side if you were arguing against the resurrection because he'd tear you apart. But <laughs> yes, on the other yeah. hand... I really don't think he wants to engage you on philosophical issues, on the other hand, because you do the same to him. And I I, I say because I think that, you know, no one can be a master of everything. And everyone's going to have some sort of weakness out there, some area they don't know a lot in. I mean, for my work, for instance, I tell people if they have some sort of question concerning science and Christianity, I say you need to find someone else because this is not the question I answer. I'm not equipped mm. in this area. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's right. Um, and if, that's what I, was, what I was worried about. I mean, if, if you think that you have to have mm-hmm. uh, great arguments in order to know that God exists, uh, some arguments are built on on uh, so, so the, 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 premise, the premises are based off of scientific evidence, mm-hmm. some philosophical evidence, some historical evidence. And I was like trying to master philosophy, theology, you know, uh, 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 science, et cetera, all physics, uh, biology. And I, you know, I, I was an undergrad biblical studies major and I was, I was quite, quite worried that I could in fact master all three. So uh, it can be quite liberating to know that you actually don't in order to have a rational faith. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> what exactly are we talking about when we talk about epistemology? What do we mean by that term? Sure. So, I mean, traditionally it's defined as the study of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you can really understand epistemology as sort of the field of inquiry that deals with rationality of belief, mm-hmm. uh, justification, warrant, uh, knowledge, all these sorts of epistemic uh, concepts. Uh, and then re- religious epistemology would be sort of just these things applied to religious belief. So 
is uh, religious epistemology would be interested in questions like, um, is my faith rational or uh, am I justified in my belief that Christianity is true or do I have warrant for my uh, religious belief? These sorts of questions mm-hmm. uh, sort of applied to uh, religious belief. Or, or that, that's the field of uh, religious epistemology. Mm-hmm. So, when we talk about religious epistemology, is it really the case that, you know, it's just where you got to have faith and that's it? Or the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, no. So, um, I, I would, wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, I think you can have yeah. good arguments mm-hmm. for for uh, these sorts of things. Like, I really do think that uh, Michael Cohn is right. <laughs> and the, 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 uh, the best explanation of uh, the facts that we can get through mm-hmm. through historical inquiry is that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's not saying that. It's just saying that what, if, what, what do you do if uh, you find yourself just believing that um, Jesus rose from the dead. Like I, I've, I've actually done this. In fact, I encourage uh, your listeners to to do this sort of exercise as well. Like, just imagine Jesus's body still in a tomb somewhere in in, in Israel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard for me to to actually do that. Like to try to sincerely believe that his body is still somewhere right. uh, in a tomb. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually like, it seems almost like psychologically impossible, if not at least psychologically very hard to do. I just find myself believing that he is out of that tomb. Mm-hmm. He's out of the grave. Right. And, uh, or, or what happens if you sort of are looking up at the starry skies and you just find yourself believing, you know, you, you look around, maybe you're, you're, you're at an ocean, uh, you see the, the waters hitting the rock very heavily and and uh, it's windy outside. You look at the stars and you see mountains, and you just find yourself believing that God created this, and uh, you just can't shake your belief, you know. Or so- sometimes um, when I come home, I remember especially during my PhD studies, uh, I'd come home from a long day of talking with people about God's existence and debating and writing uh, and pub- trying to publish and so forth, and uh, they would, my kids would run up to me. And when I would come home after a long day of uh, strenuous intellectual activity, and uh, would come to me and be like, Daddy, and would rush me, and I would hug them. And I just felt great joy and just sort of found myself believing that, that God's present or God exists, you know. Mm-hmm. So what happens when, when you do, do that is if you just find yourself uh, believing that God exists or that Christianity is true, is that good enough? And my point is if the certain con- – uh, conditions are there in the situation, which we can explain in just a bit, uh, and you do find yourself believing, that's enough. You don't have to have more. Mm-hmm. You can trust what seems to you to be the case, mm-hmm. unless you're given a great defeater to suggest otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now, you <clears throat> talk about something called proper functionalism, I believe. What, what exactly do you have in mind when you speak of proper functionalism? Sure. So, uh, think about like a dog, right? Um, a dog doesn't necessarily uh, think that um, that uh, does it if, if it has justified beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, I mean, it, obviously, a dog doesn't have concepts of sort of meta level epistemic analysis. <laughs> uh, they're they're not thinking 
do I have a justified belief? Do I have a warranted belief? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are, are the right conditions in place for me to know? Uh, obviously, dogs dogs don't have those sorts of beliefs, but dogs do have some beliefs, right? I mean, mm-hmm. dogs have belief maybe that he's a good boy <laughs> or that, uh, you know, if I bring Whataburger home, uh, you know, and my dog's looking at me like he knows that I have food <laughs> or that uh, there's the ball, there's the ball. <laughs> ball go mm-hmm. uh, i mean the dog has certain beliefs <clears throat> and and the 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 idea is that the dog can know these certain things or the dog can have warranted beliefs if the uh if if his faculties are functioning properly if his faculties are uh so that's to say that it's almost like a the the mainstream um, model in cognitive science is to view our brains as something like computers. Mm-hmm. So computers have design plans, right? Right. So when I say faculties are functioning properly, I mean everything is going in accordance with the design plan. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the design plan is one that's such that it's, it's aimed at truth. It's successfully aimed at truth. And if the dog's in the environment for which the dog's designed for, then uh, when the dog produces the belief that it's a good boy or that that's Whataburger, that there's the ball, then that belief is going to be rational. It's going to be warranted. Um, and so that, that, that's what I mean by proper functionalism. There are certain conditions that are external to uh, my access that uh, are in place. And if they are in place, then the belief produced from these uh, conditions will be warranted. But to summarize, for, for those who aren't familiar with this theory, just think that I have a computer program. It's uh, working according to plan. And the computer program's aimed at truth. That, that's that's the base, the basis of proper functionalism. That's the sort of the heart of proper functionalism. Uh, so as long as that your computer program is going according to plan and it's aimed at truth, then the beliefs produced fr- from the uh, computer program uh, are going to be warranted. But now, hopefully that was clear. Now, okay, but you know here's an objection I can make coming up. Doesn't that assume that there is a God who exists who designed? <laughs> our functions for proper beliefs so that you're in essence begging the question? Yeah, that's a great question. So a couple things. One, um, person interested in warrant. So warrant is basically that ingredient that separates mere true belief from knowledge. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can have a true belief, right? I can believe that um, – what's a really horrible team in sports? Um, Beats me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and say uh, the the Atlanta Hawks, right? Okay. Uh, they're they're not they're not too good. Uh, oh wait, you're from Georgia. I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, don't worry, I don't care. <laughs> okay. The, the okay. only sport I care about at all remotely would be Braves baseball. I'm bad. I don't care if you insert someone in sports. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, so let's let's say the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the they're they're not a very great team. Let's say, in fact, that they just get done doing a season where they only won like 20 games. Uh, and I just find myself believing that they're gonna they're gonna go eight to and zero, uh, and they're gonna win every single game in the playoffs. So go sixteen to zero in the playoffs, uh, and I'm just like, yeah, that's that's my belief. I think it's true. And what if it just so happens, you know, completely irrelevant to how you know uh, that, that 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 was gonna happen? Uh, you know, it, it it turns out that the Atlanta Hawks are in fact gonna go eighty two and zero and go undefeated mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Most people wouldn't be looking at you thinking like, wow, how did you know? What algorithm were you using? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's assuming that they didn't get a whole bunch of all-stars, right, mm-hmm. uh, overnight. 
Uh, most people are going to look at you and like, wow, you got really, really lucky. Wish fulfillment, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so warrant is what separates merely having true belief, like true lucky belief, from actually having knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the model that I've described earlier is about epistemic possibility for warrant. So epistemic possibility, that's to say, as far as we know, it could be the case. So as far as we know, it could be the case that those uh, conditions of warrant are in place. So I'm not even postulating that the conditions of warrant are in place. I'm merely saying that it's, it's as far as we know, it could be the case that they're in place. Uh, and thus, it could be the case that, that, that this exists or that we can know that this exists, etc. cetera. Uh, secondly, there are design accounts or, or proper function accounts that aren't dependent on theism. So uh, Karen Neander, uh, Ruth Milliken, uh, Peter Graham, they give, for example, uh, even Ernest Sosa to some degree, uh, give naturalistic accounts of proper function. And oftentimes naturalistic accounts of proper function are basically either based on history or based on natural selection. So here's a very generic account, uh, naturalistic account of proper function. Uh, an organism's faculty F is functioning properly if F is aiding uh, the organism in survival. And it also, in the same way, aided the organism's ancestors in survival. Mm-hmm. And so they would say, if that's what's going on, then it's that faculty is functioning properly in that organism. And so that doesn't require God. Now, of course, there's a question about whether that's actually a good account. Uh, I, I'm, I'm inclined to think that it's not. It's neither, I don't think it's a necessary or sufficient account. But uh, So I, I just wanted to say that, that, that uh, there are naturalists who think that we have proper function and that's necessary to have knowledge as well. This isn't just a theistic game. So you can understand the, the term, at least for the at the moment, design very loosely. Okay. Hi, this is Justin Brawley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith. So you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. I like to mind when at this point you're listening to Dr. Todd McNabb on the Deeper Waters podcast. If you're here next week, still working on that. We've had some issues pop up, but I managed to get a good guest this week, and then we're going to do the same thing again. So now let's get back to uh, to Dr. McNabb's talk on religious epistemology. Okay, and a lot of this comes from Alvin Plantinga's work. I believe I've, uh, there was a humorous clip I remember seeing that Bill Craig once shared of uh, <coughs> Alvin Plantinga being interviewed on a news program, except they didn't know mm. who he was. He was talking about his air conditioning going out. They were just going to some random person. So all these people were making jokes. Well, I guess his wasn't properly functioning that day and <laughs> things like that. Right. Yeah, so Alvin Plantinga is known for what's called the AC model, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes it hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, so the AC models. Aquinas Calvin, right? AC, Aquinas Calvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because he thinks, uh, Plantinga thinks that both Aquinas and Calvin thought that there was what's called a census divinitatis or something like it uh, in, in Aquinas. Um, 
that's to say that there's sort of a faculty that is aimed toward producing belief about God and his activities. Uh, so that, that there's sort of a faculty or we're sort of implanted with, with knowledge that would, uh, that, that would allow us to understand who God is or, or what mm-hmm. God has done. And so Plantinga goes on to argue that, hey, if we have this sense of divinitatis, this sense of divinity, this aim toward producing belief about God and his activities, and that faculty is functioning properly, it's successfully aimed at truth, and we're in the environment for which we're designed, then uh, when it produces these beliefs, these beliefs will be warranted, even apart from argumentation. So arguments not needed, <laughs> not required for assembly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, so he, he comes up with this AC model, and he has this extended AC model, uh, which he argues that Christian belief can also be um, he- uh, held in such a way that's not based on arguments and nonetheless be warranted as well. Uh, philosophers call beliefs that are um, sort of rightly held, rationally held, or, or so, so forth, um, apart from argument. They call them properly basic. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's uh, based beliefs, beliefs based on arguments, and then beliefs that aren't based on arguments. Mm-hmm. And so properly based versus properly basic. Uh, in fact, um, funny story, uh, I didn't understand the cultural term basic for a long time. I was a little late coming to the party. And uh, my uh, Xbox and PlayStation gamer tag, I, I just put properly basic, you know, in, in reference to uh, Alvin Plantinga and, and, and epistemology, you know, especially religious belief being properly basic. And anyway, long story short, I came to, to learn quickly that properly basic didn't have the same connotations uh, in our culture as it does in academic circles. So uh, uh, hopefully the listener can understand uh, sort of what I'm uh, referencing as to what I mean by properly basic, held rationally apart from argument, and that uh, religious belief can, can be held rationally apart from argument. Th- this is why the video, when, when uh, Plantinga's AC breaks and it's not functioning properly, uh, that that it becomes even just that much more funny. Yeah, I, I do hope that they understand because, geez, I don't even understand that kind of thing, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, 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 I wouldn't take it too hard because, honestly, when you were sitting here talking about the Atlanta Hawks, I was saying, I don't even know what, <laughs> I was saying, I don't even know what sport they play. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's how much I am out of it with sports. Basketball, NBA. <laughs> oh, okay. That's the sport with the ice and the, and the nets, right? Right. Uh, yes, right. Oh, the, the, good, the ball, not, not, not the ice, not the ice, but oh. the ball, ball and a hoop. Yeah, ball and the net. Okay, I was about to say, I was going to be so proud of me that I managed to figure out what it, what it was. And I'm sure if you know anything about me from my father and all working film, that I am a bit partial to... Thomas Aquinas and his research. So, yeah, it is very good to hear you refer to him. Now, the whole idea behind this approach, then, is that, uh, see, you, you can, there are some things that we just know. And one of the things I think I've heard before use is we know that other people have minds. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, I'm not very impressed with the arguments for other minds that exist currently in the uh, epistemological literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a lot of people aren't, <laughs> which is why they end up adopting 
um, what's called an externalist theory of justification or warrant. Um, so the, an externalist, so there's, there's two theories in epistemology, sort of internalism, the idea that you basically, uh, you have to have good arguments. You have to have access mm -hmm. to, to evidence uh, for arguments for, for your belief to be justified. Mm -hmm. Externalism says you don't have to have that access, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of people sort of endorse externalism because they want to avoid skepticism um, because there's not great arguments for the other minds existing or that the past wasn't created five minutes ago with the appearance of age mm -hmm. <laughs> or that uh, the future will be like the past, right? This is Hume's problem of induction. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what do they do? They, they end up endorsing an externalist account. And so uh, the same way that a dog can know that, you know, uh, that their master's home, uh, you know, or the same way that uh, when I go in to teach a classroom and I open up a door and I say, like, hello, class, uh, they see me and they form the belief that there's somebody in front of them, or their professor is in front of them. Um, then in, this, in the same way that they can be, they can have rational or warranted belief, uh, even if they didn't have good arguments for that, right? I mean, it's, it's just that their faculties, their their cognitive uh, equipment sort of designed to produce the belief that there's a person in front of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if their faculties are functioning properly and aimed at truth, then then their belief would be warranted. They don't. It's not such that if they can't come up with a good argument, I mean, because it could be such, right, that actually they're in the matrix and I'm yeah. not really here. I'm just a computer yeah. program. Or it could be such that I'm a trick from a Cartesian demon monster, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe their faculties are, are, maybe they're the only person in the world and their faculties are producing the belief that other people exist in order to, keep them calm in this cold and dark, lonely world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are different explanations, some that are even simpler, I think, than postulating that there are 7 billion other minds in this universe and possibly more. Uh, and so uh, uh, the, the idea is that as long as we're sort of hardwired to produce this belief based off the certain imagery input, right, mm -hmm. then the particular output, namely this belief that other minds uh, exist, uh, would, be, would be warranted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how about this concern, though, that's going to pop up? Isn't this a belief, though, that's unfalsifiable? That, I mean, how could you debunk such things and just say anything's a properly basic belief, couldn't you? That's a great question. So, uh, in this case, um, I personally have argued for, uh, following Plantinga's line, uh, that actually... Uh, in order to really account for the proper function condition, you, uh, you will end up needing to have some sort of designer. And so uh, I take it that religious views, for example, that can't accommodate a designer cannot be warranted. They can't even account for warrant. They can't account for knowledge at all. Um, but so if you're in a dialogue, for example, with an atheist and the atheist says, well, I have a warranted belief that atheism is true, and if the conditions of proper function are in place, then I can say the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'd actually argue that if atheism was uh, true, you couldn't even account for proper function. You, you wouldn't be able to talk about warranted belief at all. Um, but it, it is, it's not just that any and all beliefs can be warranted. It's the design plan. So how are we designed? So if you are designed to produce belief that P, right, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the belief that P is, uh, can be formed in such a way where your design plan doesn't require arguments for that belief, then your belief 
can be warranted apart from argument. However, there's lots of beliefs, for example, that are uh, do require arguments in order to be warranted. So maybe like the correct interpretation of quantum mechanics, right? Maybe you can't mm-hmm. just say like, like oh yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I endorse a non-realist account. Why? Oh, I just find myself believing non-realism or something like that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, that seems implausible. It seems like we have to give arguments for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so some things you have to have arguments for, some things you don't. And it's just based on the design plan of, you know, how uh, you were sort of made. Yeah, because I, I know one of the things that Panga has been having to deal with in this kind of thing is what he calls the Great Pumpkin objection. Mm. If we watched over Halloween, for instance, we d- we forgot to, but many families, I'm sure, did watch a chart on Thanksgiving, and we all go out there, and we see Linus sitting in the, the pumpkin patch saying, the great pumpkin's gonna be here. I know it! <laughs> and, we, you know, you could have a chart and say, well, how do you know this? Well, I have a properly basic belief in the great pumpkin. Well, that settles it, right? <laughs> yeah, so plenty of this is a, a funny thing in reference to this. Uh, it's almost like, uh, I think it was Craig versus, um, might have been, mm-hmm. who was it? Uh, Peter Atkins, I think, where Peter Atkins says, well, maybe it's just a computer made everything, right? And mm-hmm. Craig goes like, well, then it would have to be an immaterial and powerful and uh, yeah. <laughs> strong, really, you know, uh, basically starts naming all the attributes of God, sort of computer. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Atkins says something like, uh, well, yeah, this is a very special computer. And Craig's like, well, that's just God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, it's the same sort of thing. So um, Planinga ends up, you know, for motivating his AC model, he argues that, um, uh, that you know, well, if God is loving and powerful, uh, then he would want to create, and he was our creator, he'd create in us a certain way that we could know that he exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be powerful enough to do it. And so he would give us this faculty and would produce belief that, that he exists. So if God exists, then probably belief that uh, he exists could be properly basic. Well, for the great pumpkin, mm-hmm. uh, how are you going to say the same thing? Like, so did the great pumpkin create us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he powerful enough that he, he can create us and put a, a census pumpkinatus mm-hmm. in us? Yeah. Uh, and is he, he's loving, so he wants this in us, so he, we can have a loving relationship mm-hmm. with him. And then if you start saying yes to all these things, then the it starts to look like you're actually just endorsing theism. It's just your God has a vested interest in pumpkins or something like that. Back to mind when at this point you listen to a Deeper Wireless podcast, we got Dr. Tyler McNabb on talking about his book, Religious Epistemology, discussing that subject here. And uh, I'd really like to encourage you to please go to our website, deeperwaterlessapologetics.com. And there's a link on the side, help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click on that link, 
and you go there and you, you get taken to the ministry of risen Jesus. Stay at the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation. You get in touch with me or my wife, Allie, or Mike or Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation, but I want to go to you all. I want to go to Nick Peters, Deeper Waters. Can you make that happen? Yep, we can make it happen. Tax deductible. You can also go to the eShop and buy books that I've written. One right now, Creed for the Ages, the Apostles Creed in Today's Christian. I am working on another one right now. Just last month, Richard Dawkins had his book, Outgrowing God, come out. I read through, I giggled at a few places, I think. <laughs> and uh, writing a response right now in ebook form. And uh, so that one, it could be out by the time this one's done. And I'm really working hard to promote it. And I hope you are aware. Yeah, a copy of it. Also, ones I've co-written. Defining and contextualizing inanity, God and natural disasters, um, Christian answers to generations' questions, groundless, and the mentionables project. And if you can't do any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review for a Deeper Waters audience. I really would like to see how much your show means to you. It really warms me every time I. See, you've left a pause response. Someone tells about how they like the show. It means so much. Now, Dr. McNabb, do you have a a blog? Or a, oh, no, I mean, do you have a charity or something like that that people can donate to if you, that you'd like them to support? Uh, I would just encourage if the readers, or sorry, not readers, <laughs> uh, the listeners uh, want to uh, donate money, uh, I, I would encourage um, them to check out their local um, pro-life mm. uh, organization mm-hmm. that uh, is determined on helping mothers mm-hmm. uh, have have their have their children. I'd, I'd encourage the yeah. readers to our listeners to uh, donate to their local pro-life ministry. And if you're very interested in equipping yourself for that, listen to our show in January. It's normally the month we focus on abortion. Mm-hmm. A lot. We have several great guests come on. Talk about the topic of abortion. So, I mean, how do we know some things also in religious sense? Because, let's face it, not going to have We see people regularly say things about God that they will say they know this about God, but we think it's just nonsense. Mm. I mean, how can we really know anything about God? Yeah, so... Uh... So the story I would tell is how we can know anything about God is just to say, again say something like, "Well, if I have a sensitive vinitatis or something like it, and it's mm-hmm. properly functioning and aimed at truth, when it produces my, the beliefs that I have, then my beliefs would be warranted. And if it's true, then I'd have knowledge because knowledge, I think, just is warranted true belief. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think that if someone comes across and says, "Well, I believe this," and has a different belief uh, about God, or you know, maybe they're a pantheist or um, maybe they believe uh, har- lots of horrible things about God, like he's evil and so forth. Then you can give defeaters. Like you can talk about how it's impossible to have an evil God, logically speaking. Um, or you can give different objections. And and so it's, it's just even if your belief is properly basic, it doesn't mean that your belief is immune to defeaters. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that your, your, your belief is immune to objections. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have objections that are sufficiently strong that can uh, make you mm-hmm. uh, let go of your belief. Mm-hmm. Or uh, even if it doesn't sort of make you let go of your belief, it at least decreases your confidence such where you're on a lot more shaky ground <laughs> than, than you were originally. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's uh, what apologetics then turns out to be, uh, is a process then of sort of... <laughs> responding to objections, doing this mm-hmm. sort of defensive style approach to, to apologetics. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's not like you're just at a stalemate and you have to go home. Everyone goes home with their own ball. Yeah. Now let's talk some also about a favorite topic of mine, natural theology. Because what got me in touch with you actually was uh, I was recommended to talk to you by, I think it was Jamie Dew, because I was getting ready to do my debate with Dan Barker and and one talks about epistemology, and he said, oh, Tyler McNabb's the guy you need to talk to. And so that's what we did. And some of the stuff we talked about, I think, was natural theology. So what exactly is natural theology? I mean, is that the kind of thing that, you know, someone says, I don't need a church. I just go out and go fishing, and I get in touch with nature, and that's how I know God. That's what natural theology is, right? <laughs> Uh, not so much, but uh, uh, I, 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 I uh, understand that, that response nonetheless. Um, yeah, so no, natural theology is this, this sort of discipline where uh, that, that asks, what can we know about God uh, apart from Revelation? So without relying on our Bibles. Apart from special revelation. We, right, sorry. No. Yes, apart from special revelation. Uh, what can we know about God? And so, generally, you'll give arguments for his existence. So, uh, you might give arguments based off of the universe being contingent, or uh, if you like, a, if you agree, like me and Aquinas, which I think maybe you as well. Oh yeah. Uh, that uh, there's um, movement, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's change, there's things going from potentiality to actuality, and you need a, a, a sort of a, an explanation or a grounding of that. Uh, then you maybe end up postulating God or morality. There's objective moral values and duties, so there's an argument from morality that you can uh, formulate God's existence. I mean, there's, there's lots and lots and lots of different arguments that you can sort of develop to lead us to believe that God exists and that God's a specific way, you know, his specific has specific, I'm using this in a loose sense, not in a strict mm-hmm. sense, but properties, you know, uh, that he has a certain certain types of properties or uh, intrinsic predicates that, that we can assign him. Um, so, that I think that's roughly what natural theology is. Yeah, now, this also isn't very original with Christians. I mean, pretty much every philosopher done this. I'd say the master of it was Aristotle. I mean, Aristotle got about as close as you can to a doctrine of God without scripture, I'd say. Right, right. Yeah, no, the natural theology uh, exists before Christians came onto the scene. Um, and it's also found in Islam and uh, scholarship, Islamic scholarship and uh, Jewish scholarship. So mm-hmm. it's not something that only Christians do. It's uh, something that people have been doing for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will look at these arguments from natural theology. I've heard a lot of them, especially in the presuppositional Calvinist camp, say, well, the problem of these arguments is they don't get you to the God of the Bible. They don't get you to the Christian God, do they? So, therefore, we probably shouldn't use these arguments. Hmm. Yeah, so there's a, a book, uh, I think it's like the five or six views on apologetics. Mm-hmm. Um, five views. And I th- 
Five views, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Gary Habermas mm-hmm. gives a very nice critique, I think, of this sort of approach where he lists different places in the Old Testament especially, that he might mention some places in the New as well, where basically uh, God seemed totally fine with giving evidence for the claims uh, of uh, who he was and how he was the one true God and so forth. Uh, so it seems totally fine uh, biblically, I think, to to give evidence uh, like sort of how we're doing without just assuming the Christian worldview and, and saying you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and then trying to show them how they're doing that. I think providing evidence is uh, biblically appropriate. Um, and an argument might not get you uh, that Jesus rose from the dead, but nonetheless, it could act as one particular argument among many other arguments that do. And so, if you sort of look at this as like a little A argument, and you're like, actually, what I'm giving this person is capital A argument, and capital A arguments made up of a whole bunch of little A arguments, then actually, your overall argument still is actually leading them to believe in the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what role then does faith because faith is one of those very misunderstood terms. Mm. Like I just referred to Richard Dawkins. We all know he says faith is believing something without evidence, which I'm sure you know as the classical understanding of a New Testament word, pistos, is believing without evidence, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I take um, faith to be uh, a way of, of uh, a special way of knowing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you can understand it in that way. You mm-hmm. can understand, I think, the more biblical way is uh, trust, right? Mm-hmm. Something more like trusting. Um, and obviously, faith isn't opposed to, to evidence, right? Because Hebrews mm-hmm. 11 <laughs> talks about the assurance of things not seen. And so, you can have, uh, if you have assurance, that, that probably means that you really believe it. Mm-hmm. You're not just like um, blindly affirming a proposition. You're like, mm-hmm. actually, I really don't even think this is true, but mm-hmm. whatever. I'm just going to make this absurd leap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, that's, it'd be, faith can be defined in lots of different ways. Trust, special way of, of, of knowing. Mm-hmm. You can define it as um, pure, blind, men- mental uh, affirmation or something like that. I mean, you can define it in, in various different ways. So whenever you're talking with someone about faith, it's probably important to define it first. And what role do you see let's talk with scripture how does scripture inform religious epistemology and could the same apply to someone who say a muslim or a mormon with their own scriptures mm. yeah so uh in reference to your, your last point mm-hmm. uh, i'll address that first um eric baldwin and i have uh co-written a book on sort of world religions and Planetus epistemology, where we argue that lots of different world religions can't utilize Planetus epistemology or appeal to scripture, for example, in the same way that Christians do. Um, and so that, that's that's a, a topic uh, that's quite I find quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even if, let's go ahead and say that there's a particular religion that does appeal to their scripture, and they can account for Planetus epistemology and can utilize it. I'm not so sure what's What's so problematic about that? Um, I mean, let's go ahead and say that you encounter someone whose moral faculties aren't functioning properly, mm-hmm. and they think it's totally okay um, to uh, murder people for fun, right? Mm-hmm. And as a good, properly functioning person, uh, you think, no, it's not okay to murder people for fun. Uh, 
and you, you tell them that, that you disagree. Well, just because there's disagreement here doesn't mean that you both are wrong or that you're both are right, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even if the, the, this person from probably a Criminal Minds episode <laughs> says, uh, well, hey, if my faculties are functioning properly when they're delivering this belief, it can be warranted, mm-hmm. right? You're still going to be unimpressed. You're just mm-hmm. going to be like, no, you're still clearly are your faculties aren't functioning properly when it comes to this, uh, and and you're still going to think that you have warranted belief that it's wrong to murder people for fun, right? It's not going to doxastically move you to to reject that belief. Mm-hmm. Just the mere existence of epistemic disagreement shouldn't defeat your belief, and so uh, that I, I would say that to to someone. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Mike Lacona. I've had the privilege of being on the Deeper Waters podcast with Nick Peters several times over the past few years. Nick is one of the finest interviewers on the internet today. He's well-read and asks the type of questions that bring valuable insights for his listeners. So if you want to get great information from top-notch scholars in a concise package, the Deeper Waters podcast with Nick Peters is where you need to be. Let's talk about the idea of how reliable our faculties of obtaining knowledge need to be. In one example that came to my mind is that you go back to say, um, imagine it's 11th or 12th century. People wake up, they see the sun going across mm-hmm. the sky, and they wake up again, they see the next day that thing's going on, and everything seems to be still around for the most part, so they conclude the sun goes around the earth. Then along comes this Copernicus and Galileo, Caporin, they say, no, it's the other way around. And now today, most of you are convinced Copernicus and Galileo were right. Where, geez, we were just going by what our senses seem to be telling us. They seem to be in proper functioning, working order. And we all concluded that the earth was the center of the universe, the solar system. And we were wrong. Maybe we are with God. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think it's 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 okay to say, "Hey, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure this is the case. I find myself really believing it. It's hard for me to believe otherwise, but I'm a human. I'm fallible. I'm open to hearing that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Tell me why it's not the case, and then you listen to the answer. And if the response is sufficiently good, then maybe drop the belief. Mm-hmm. If it is uh, interesting but not really convincing, then continue holding steadfast, you know? Um, and uh, it's the same. I mean, you can also say the same thing. Like, the Earth doesn't appear to be spinning ridiculously quick right now, right? Right. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, it is. And so uh, I trust the science uh, scientists who tell me this. And so um, I'm, I'm going to act like that's sufficiently good reason to drop my belief that originally seemed properly basic to me uh and so uh and, and trust the the scientists mm-hmm. the scientific overwhelming consensus on these uh, sorts of issues so again just because your belief in proper basic doesn't mean that it's not um uh immune from from defeaters yeah. and so I, I i'm going with the assumption though that our beliefs are sort of like uh, a good a good um uh sort of um, justice system, right? They're innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so that that that's the sort of approach that I think's been taken here. Yeah, but Doctor McNair, I mean, 
you were just talking about that you're going to go with what the scientists say. And isn't that always what you should do? I mean, isn't science the best way we have of knowing things? When, I mean, you can test science repeatedly. You can't do that with religion. So shouldn't we just test everything by science? Yes. Well, uh, science has an assumption, uh, for example, that the future will be like the past. Mm-hmm. And this is Hume's famous problem of induction, is that how do you know the future will be like the past without assuming that the future will be like the past? Which he conveniently um, dropped when he wanted to critique miracles. <laughs> yes, uh, right, right. In chapter 10, he, he conveniently forgets about his critique in chapters 3 4. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's also belief in other minds that oftentimes scientists are postulating, mm-hmm. right? Scientists... Uh, often postulate uh, that the universe wasn't created five minutes ago with the appearance of age and memories, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whenever they're, they're formulating their, their theories and so forth. And so um, there's no good arguments for these things, and yet science assumes these things. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, also, science can't uh, speak to ethical and logical considerations as well. So science is limited in what it can and cannot do, and mm-hmm. it's limited in what it has to assume. Mm-hmm. So I feel uncomfortable saying science is the best way we can know when mm-hmm. science itself is dependent upon non-scientific uh, beliefs and uh, our beliefs arrived by non-scientific methods. Yeah. Uh, it seems a little awkward to say that, I think. Yeah, I, I think he might like the way I've, rephr- I've phrased it for us. Science is the best tool we have to know about the material world. Mm. I mean, if you yeah. if you want to, for instance, know how to do algebra, you don't go and get your Bible. You get an algebra textbook. Yes, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what advice then would you give my listeners? Oh, then getting your book, which I want to tell them how to do. It. How how would you advise them to start learning how to think better in the area of of their Christian religion? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the best sort of way is uh, to have sort of a, a very, uh, at least a, a minimally a surface level sort of knowledge of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so um, you mentioned Jamie Dew earlier. Jamie Dew and mm-hmm. Paul Gould have a great book that just came out recently. It's uh, sort of uh, a smaller book in comparison to Craig and Moreland's uh, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, um, but it's, it's sort of a philosophy book from a Christian standpoint. Uh, I would suggest looking at that book or looking at Craig and Moreland's book and uh, just basically having basic understandings of uh, what metaphysics, uh, what, what, what epistemology is, what, what ethics, uh, logic, philosophy of science, mm. and then Whatever sort of pops out to them. So for me, when I was reading epistemology, that really made me uh, sort of happy and interested, and mm. and I was I sort of had just a, a knack for gra- grasping that a lot better than I did even metaphysics. So uh, then you know, figure out some books, uh, whatever whatever pops out to you. So if you if you liked what was discussed in today's podcast, mm-hmm. then yeah, then then go buy. Uh, some epistemology books and religious epistemology books uh, and and then sort of read those things and sort of kind of pick a field that you can really dig down in literature. And once you feel like you've you've uh, 
uh, really have grasped some, some concepts and important things within that sort of field or subfield, then you can move on to another one. And then eventually go back to it and try to master it. You know, something like mm-hmm. that. I think is a good approach. You mentioned authors like Craig and Do. Can you mention some specific books? Yeah. So Craig and Moreland have the uh, Philosophical Foundations for Christian Worldview. I can't exactly recall the title of Do in uh, Paul Gould's book. It just came out, I think, last year. Um, if you type in Paul Gould, Jamie Do, and Amazon, it, I'm sure it'll be like the first book that pops up. It's a co-authored book, mm-hmm. uh, um, but. Yeah, th- th- those would be the two books I-, I would suggest getting started with. Yeah, we did have them on the book show a while back talk about book. How do we know it wasn't good? It was Foreman and do, I think. Oh, no, no. This is a, yeah. a different one. Um, this was, yeah. isn't an epistemology one. It's a, a f- overall philosophy book. Yeah, I'm looking for it right now on Amazon. Not having much luck, but that's okay. You all can. Go look later on. Now, Dr. McNabb, we, you are only able to be here for an hour today due to you're not feeling well, and we hope for your recovery. Uh, do you have a blog, an email, a website, a way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yes, um, if, uh, tylermcnabb.com, mm-hmm. so T-Y-L-E-R-M-C-N-A-B-B.com uh, is my website. You can look at different publications that I have there. Um what events I've been speaking at and, and so forth. You can also um, add me on Facebook, feel free, or follow me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to, to add me and to ask questions and send me messages, and I'll be more than happy to, to respond. Do you have it, any final thoughts you'd like to leave for a Deeper Waters audience today? Uh, just that uh, it, I know it... Um, it's very easy to get sucked into loving God as, as people who are inclined to apologetics, people who are inclined mm-hmm. to philosophy. Um, it's very easy to get sucked into loving God with your mind, but all, then also forgetting to love God with your heart. Mm-hmm. And for most of the church, it's the opposite. It's really easy to remember loving God with your heart, but really hard to remember loving God with your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just encourage the, the listener um, to, to love God with your whole being mm-hmm. and, uh, to, to, to do to, to uh, do that by making sure that you know you're 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 in church today's Sunday for me so yeah make sure you're in church today <laughs> yeah you're in China over there so that's right yes I'm, I'm at the University of Macau in China yeah so when we get done with this show it, it's like here I'll be getting ready to go to sleep with my wife you're being ready to go to church with yours <laughs> right yeah yeah well I'd like to Thank you for coming on, and I do hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Well, that's very kind of you to invite me, and I look forward to it. Thank you very much. And I have to remind everyone next week, I'm still working on it, but I've got a few possibilities lined up. We're going to see what happens. For now, I'm Nick Peters. I affirm the virgin birth, and I'm signing off. <laughs>